Let's talk about psychological safety for a moment, but let's talk about it from the lens of employee listening and the strategy and the channels that, with, that hold employee listening and how we can bake psychological safety within that. So let's start with recruitment, candidate surveys. It's the number one responsibility of a recruiter, in my personal opinion, to create psychological safety. I've personally been on many interviews and I personally recruited lots of employees. And what I found, which can be a very consistent action, is that they seem and feel very robotic because they're saying and, and, and reading off and going through the same bullet points to keep an equitable process, which I understand and I respect and I agree with. But it does not mean you personally as the recruiter can't build a little bit of your own flair. You can't personally get to know the applicant and build that psychological safety within those conversations. Now, in my personal opinion, building psychological safety is veering away from the robotic nature of your questions. And once you've done, once you're done asking your standardized question to keep things equitable, asking a secondary and third level question that probes them to tell them tell you a little bit more about themselves. You may ask them their own point of view about the question that you asked. You may ask them if you if they need you to ask the question in a different way. You may dive into the recruiting process and understand if there's a different point of view that they want to share, a piece of their background that they may want to highlight that is very contextual and nuanced to their own life and where they've been. There are many things you can do to create psychological safety. Now, in order for that candidate survey to highlight the amount of psychological safety that you have, your recruiting leader has to be trained to facilitate and have honest conversations within the recruiting process that builds that psychological safety. So for me, when I think about candidate surveys, that's the number one variable that I look at. Secondly, onboarding, your onboarding surveys. Every single new hire will fill out an onboarding survey, I hope, if you're a company that's really looking to, to aggregate and understand data and make change and impact. When you are looking at that onboarding survey, in my personal opinion, what I'm always looking for is the following data. Number one, do the new hires and applicants moving into new hires, do they feel like they needed some sort of a extension? And what I mean by that is, do they feel they needed some sort of an extension of the onboarding process itself because they don't feel like they learned enough and got enough from you as the person that put them through the onboarding? Do they feel that the onboarding structure was contextual enough from a learning and development standpoint to fit their own learning and development style? Did the onboarding a member ask the new hire about their learning and development style? Ask them if they felt they were really starting to grasp what they were trying to teach and if there was anything else we needed to double down on. If the onboarding leader asked the new hire if there was anyone else within the organization or anything in the organization that would make them feel more comfortable with the role. In these surveys type questions, the data that you get back is going to be incredibly important from my personal perspective. Now, with that data, very similar to the recruitment data that you're getting from your candidate surveys, that data should influence if you keep someone in that role. So that data should influence the, the recruiters you have in the company. That data should influence the onboarding leaders and managers you have in the company. That data should influence how you go about training and, and providing value to your new hires and your candidates. That data should impact a lot. Number three, retention. 
Let's go through a few different things within the, the category of retention. There's a lot here. We have engagement surveys, topic-driven surveys, ad hoc topic-driven one-on-one meetings, pulse surveys, post-survey focus groups, stay interviews. This is a big one. I believe the stay interviews, the one-on-one meetings, and the engagement surveys are channels that you really need to make sure your leaders are trained on. And again, the biggest one for me is a stay interview. And it's it's really unique of where how you, how you and where you position the stay interview. I think I'd be really frank with you. I think after ninety or one hundred and twenty days of a new hire, throwing in a stay interview and seeing how their first ninety to one hundred and twenty days felt, if there's any tweaks they would like to do or like to make to their actual supervisor, if there's any tweaks to their role, the structure, the decision making variables. Um, how much support and attention they feel they're be, they're being given. I would throw in a stay interview after six months. I would throw a stay interview after nine months. I would throw a stay interview after 12 months. I would throw a stay interview after 18 months. I would proactively put stay interviews in place. Not an interview, not a stay interview that was prompted by a negative reaction statement or question or moment from your employees. There are so many companies out here that have negative things that occur and then they try to implement the stay interview, right? So it's like, okay, let me get this straight. We as a company are obviously not doing something right. You've said something, you're considering to leave or we can see that you're disgruntled or your engagement data is showing that you're not as engaged, not as bought in, which can potentially impact and affect our retention numbers. We don't want that. Now we're going to implement a stay interview. No, 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 no. You need to do this proactively. The managers and the supervisors of that new hire or that 18-month tenured employee, you need to have those conversations. Number four, development, 360-degree 360, uh, 360 feedback and regular one-on-one meetings. The biggest thing I can give you is making sure the one-on-one meetings are 50-50 split. What I mean by that is co-creating, in Keith Ferrazzi's words, co-creating what the one-on-one structures look and feel like. Incredibly important. Number five, offboarding, 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 exit interviews as, as exit surveys. This is a huge one. And I want to give you a unique point of view that you need to pay attention to. If a manager of a team of 12 did a great job creating psychological safety during the exit interviews and exit surveys, if folks Either A, do not want to fill those out and don't want to interact and have those conversations or B, you can tell that they BS their way through those conversations and BS their way through those surveys. That is going to give you a lot of information that you need to know about the leader that was in place. It's going to tell you about the psychological safety they created. It's going to tell you about the relationship they have with their supervisor. It's going to tell you about the skill set to build psychological safety and the attention to psychological safety that you have with your supervisors. It's going to tell you how you as an organization are structuring the roles of your supervisors. It's going to tell you a lot. So these are the five channels that I believe employee listening strategy are baked within. And those are my personal perspectives on how we can tweak, add more value, build more psychological safety within those five channels. As always, this is AJ, VP of Partnerships here at MindStand. And I hope you enjoyed this episode.